0: Hello, everybody. Three weeks ago, I was here to preach against idolatry. And you'll remember, I made a bold commitment to lose some weight. And I asked you, as my church, to hold me accountable. However, I must tell you that some of your pastors have been very enthusiastic about holding me accountable. Pastor Melvin has asked me to put down $1,000 to be given to the Methodist Welfare Services if I do not lose weight or 10 kilos In six months. He, on the other hand, will give a thousand dollars if I do lose the weight and keep it off for six months. Excuse me. Last weekend, after I sent the pastors half a dozen pictures of my wife's beloved, uh, belated birthday brunch, Pastor Anthony WhatsApp me to say, I highly doubt you can meet your objective of 10 kilos uh, loss. Gaining more since your sermon, in order to lose 10 kilos, not counted lay, must be 10 kilos from the day you preached. So I asked, what are all these additional conditions? And Pastor Anthony replied, what are all these manoeuvres you're up to? Shifting goalposts, where is the benchmark for 10 kilo loss? I'm holding you accountable, as you said. Then he decided, Must be 10 kilos from the day you preached. This is the benchmark. I responded by sending him two two more photos of oxtail dibal curry and turmeric cabbage. We Singaporeans are all very enthused when it comes to food. Well, today's sermon uh, is also about food. I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And you may think uh, you know a lot about Holy Communion already, but please listen carefully anyway so let's read first corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 to 34 first corinthians chapter 11 reading from verse 17 now here paul writes but in the following instructions i do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse for in the first place But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. Father, we pray you open up your word to us now and speak to all our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I was reading an article in the newspapers the other day which said that in Singapore, more than 122 120,000 people, sorry, have set sail on cruises since last November. 120,000 people have gone on cruises. Cruises to nowhere have become popular again. And I was once on such a cruise years ago. I think it was on the Superstar Aquarius. And we went to Port Klang and back, you know, over two nights, more than 10 years ago. My wife didn't like the cruise because she said there was nothing to do except eat the whole day and rest or sleep between meals. I loved the cruise because there was nothing to do except eat the whole day and rest or sleep between meals. Now, what struck me about the food was that there was a whole range of restaurants where you could go and eat as often as you wanted without paying more there. The cost of food was already built into your cruise ticket. And there were also speciality restaurants where you had to pay extra to eat. But if you had booked a higher class of cabin, if you were staying in a bigger room, uh, state room or suite, then you were given several hundred dollars worth of credits to spend in those specialty restaurants. In other words, if you paid more money for your cruise, you didn't have to eat in the big buffet restaurants with the crowds and line up for your food. You could go to the more exclusive restaurants for more exquisite food. And that is only natural, isn't it? You get what you pay for. If you pay more, if you are richer, you get better food. You get a better dining experience. In today's passage, Paul is saying that when the Corinthian Christians came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, They brought their social distinctions and wealth to the meal. And Paul says you shouldn't do this. The division between rich and poor should not be seen at the Lord's Supper. Paul says here in verse 18 that he hears there are divisions in church. He says there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine uh, may be recognized. But I think Paul is being sarcastic. And here I follow my favourite theologian, Bishop N.T. Wright, who says that what Paul really is saying is, oh yes, I'm sure there are parties in your church. After all, you want to make sure the really important people stand out, won't you? It is a mocking statement that is in keeping with the tone of the next few verses. Because Paul immediately says that it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're eating your own meals. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And Paul says to Corinthian Christians, you are humiliating those who have nothing. He says clearly, I will not commend you for the way you conduct the Lord's Supper. What were the Corinthian Christians doing? You need to remember that in Paul's time, there were no church buildings. Christians met in each other's houses. And as their numbers grew, maybe they would pick one large house to meet in. And in those days, the Lord's Supper was a full meal. So imagine you were a Christian in those days. And you got invited over to one of these large houses for dinner. But you were told to bring your own food. Okay, so maybe you come over with some penang char with you with extra chili. You see Pastor Anthony with a roast chicken for his family. You see me with two slices of toast and butter and kaya and a bottle of water. But then you see some people, you see some folks come with huge picnic baskets and they take out expensive German WMF stainless steel cutlery, crystal glasses. They serve serve themselves a luscious spread of food foie gras, stuffed into a chicken, stuffed into a duck, stuffed into a turkey, a three-bird roast. They have Bordeaux wine from Chateau La Mondotte, Santa Other people have rushed over from work, don't have food, or maybe they forgot to bring something. And the rich people, with their big hampers, they don't share their food. Does that seem right? It's wrong. And it's worse when you're supposed to be meeting for worship. The people you are with are supposed to be your family, your brothers and sisters. And yet Paul says, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What's going on is that in the ancient world, many rich people prided themselves on showing hospitality to those less well-off, but they often did so in a way which let the other people know that they were inferior, in a way that made them feel ashamed. So for example, some of these rich people would have had a small dining room for themselves and their close friends where excellent food and wine would be served. They would also have another room or rooms where poorer quality food Cheap food would be served. It's like a cruise ship. And maybe in Corinth, the rich Christians with big houses were continuing this practice of social distinction with the Lord's Supper if they were providing food to everybody at all. Paul is saying in verse 22, this despises the church of God. It shows contempt For God's church. Because you're focusing on yourself. You're trying to show off your wealth. You're trying to act as the host. But it is not your meal. It is the Lord's supper. Paul is also saying, you are humiliating those who have nothing. Whether deliberately or not, you are shaming your own brothers and sisters by showing them inferior to you. Paul is saying that, and this is my first point. The Lord's Supper tells us that we are equal in church. The Lord's Supper tells us that we are equal in church. Well, these days, for hundreds of years already, we don't get a full meal for the Lord's Supper. Early Methodist churches used to have a love feast or agape meal. And that is a Christian fellowship meal. Uh, it's being revived today at some annual conferences overseas or at certain festivals. And Charles Wesley wrote a prayer, especially to be used at Le Feast. At our church, Amon before the pandemic, you will remember, we provided food two Sundays a month for everybody. It was the same food for everybody. Nowadays, for the Lord's Supper, we get a symbolic meal, piece of wafer and some grape juice. In other churches, Uh, They may use wine. In some other churches, only the clergy drink the wine. The lay people only get the bread. But we all generally follow the same ritual based on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we may refer to it by different names. Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Mass. But we still repeat these words in 1 Corinthians 11 when we remind ourselves why we celebrate. The Lord's Supper. Paul then goes on in this passage to explain what the Lord's Supper is all about. And Paul says that he delivered to the churches what he received from the Lord. What did he receive? He received the story of the Last Supper, and he got it from Jesus himself. You will remember that Paul was once called Saul when he was an anti-Christian. He was on a road to Damascus to hunt out and captured Jews who believed in Jesus when Jesus appeared to him. And that changed Saul's life. He changed his name. He believed in Jesus. That's all in the book of Acts chapter 9. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives the earliest written account of the night before Jesus died. The gospel accounts were written later than this letter. And in this passage, Paul draws a particular lesson from the account of Jesus' Last Supper. The lesson is in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul does not mean that when we celebrate Holy Communion, it's a good opportunity to preach about Jesus' death. That may very well be the case. But no, what Paul means here is that when we enact the meal, we announce Jesus' death. It is not just an occasion for fellowship, for ritual. It is a symbolic event that tells the world of Jesus' death. And so my second point is, the Lord's Supper tells the world that Jesus' death changes everything. The Lord's Supper tells the world that Jesus' death changes everything because it is through Jesus' death that sin and evil are defeated, that we are redeemed, that we are rescued, that we find new life, that we are saved. It is eating this meal that we receive communion. Holy communion uh, is a sacrament. And the definition of a sacrament is that it is a means of grace. It is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. And so we receive grace in Holy Communion. And when Paul reminds the Christians of the traditional story of the Last Supper, a story they already know, Paul explains that when the meal is celebrated, Jesus is present himself. Jesus is not locked away in the past. He is not absent. When we eat together in the Lord's Supper, Jesus is present with us to give us grace. Uh, Once many years ago, when I was in need of forgiveness, I came for Holy Communion. And when we came to the part in the ritual where the pastor says, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, I really felt a burden lifted from me. I felt Jesus saying to me, it's okay, you're all right. I felt his grace. And since then, I make it a point to really confess my sins when I come for Holy Communion. Holy Communion imparts grace. And the point of verses 27 to 32 is that if we misbehave in the Lord's Supper, it is tantamount to misbehaving in front of the Lord. That's why Paul says, many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. You eat and drink judgment on yourselves if you don't discern the body when you eat and drink. What does discerning the body mean? What body? In chapter 10, Paul speaks of the church as a single body. And later in chapter 12, Paul will talk about how we all are the body of Christ. Firstly, we are the body. And if we share in the bread in the same way, we declare that we are all one body. Secondly, in verses 24, 26 and 27, the bread refers to the body of uh, the Lord. The body to be recognized is also the presence of the Lord in the bread. And these two must come together. We must discern the presence of the Lord at the Lord's Supper, as well as our unity and equality in sharing the bread. That is discerning the body when we eat and drink. And that is why at the end of this chapter, Paul returns to his earlier discussion about coming together to eat as equals. He says, when you come together to eat, do it together. The English Standard Version translates this as wait for each other. But the word wait here can also mean welcome from the heart. Welcome, everybody, from the heart, eat together. And if you want a bigger meal, eat something at home first. Don't flaunt your wealth and have a big feast in front of other Christians who may not be able to afford big meals. Come instead to eat in Jesus' presence and receive grace from Him. I want to just also mention... uh that when, you no, know, after the pandemic, when we come to receive the bread and cup in our normal manner, we must come in a posture of humility. If you come to receive grace freely given, you should receive it as a present. So come forward with two hands as if you were receiving a present. I say this because before the pandemic, I notice some people will come not as a humble supplicant, but as a kung fu master. They come with a chicken pecking stance. When the steward holds the bread and says, The body of our Lord, these people try to peck or pinch the body of the Lord. No, you don't peck or pinch away at the bread. You receive it humbly. So when the pandemic is over, remember, when we return to our normal ritual, when you come forward with your chicken pecking stance and the steward pulled back, then just correct yourself. You can also, as you walk away, give a quiet to yourself as a reminder not to do it again. So to repeat, the Lord's Supper tells us that we are equal in church. It reminds us that we are all. One body. The Lord's Supper tells the world that Jesus' death changes everything. There is life and grace in Jesus. May we reflect that life and grace in this world. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you that in church we are all equal. There is no east or west, north or south, rich or poor, male or female, free or slave, but we are all the same before you. We are all your children. We ask you, Lord, to continue to bind us together, continue to help us to watch out for each other, to care for each other, to love each other, and to truly become your people. We ask you, Lord, to bless us and use us in mighty ways as your people, in Jesus' name. Amen.